Yeah. Hey, welcome to Going Off Track. <laughs> hey. What's up? What's up? Uh, I'm Jonah. I'm Brad. And this is our first time doing this intro. <laughs> um, uh, Glad Brad, to be here. What's up, Brad? How's things going at Converse Rubber Tracks? Things are good. We're like moving right along. We had a, you know, a good start to the year here. Yeah. Got yeah, some things good are kind of just back to normal. We had a tough fall. I mean, not tough, but busy. But yeah, things are good. There's been some good bands. Today, it seemed like you had a really good band. <sighs> Man, those guys were amazing. Yeah. I recorded here today a song for uh, Flint Water Crisis. Uh, I believe it's called Not Safe to Drink. Check that out. Brad played bass on it. Jamie Kilstein sang and played guitar. And Mike Fadden, a guy we met through Kevin Devine, played drums. Played good drums. Really good. He is, is actually a great drummer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, check out that song. It's for charity. Don't be a dick. And, uh, don't, I don't know. It's classic Kilstein. Classic Kilstein. <laughs> Very angry, but also funny. Very funny. Um, speaking of cool people, today on the podcast, our guest is Jenny V. Uh, she's a bass player for Courtney Love and also, um, does a lot of solo stuff under the name Jenny V. Um, her latest album is called Spying. I'm holding it right now. It's a digipack. Looks very nice. And also sounds good. It sounds great. More importantly. Um, so yeah, Jenny came by. I'm trying to remember. We talked about bass. We talked about her growing up, living in a bunch of different countries. Then we got really into conspiracy theories. It seemed like... Uh, it took some weird turns. It seemed like but, kind of an expose yeah, of sorts. Yeah. It, I think it, you're going to... There's not... If, Pretty much any everybody will be uh, entertained by this podcast. Yeah, I will say that probably this is unlike any interview Jenny's done before. <laughs> I think that's it. Not unlike of... any interview we've done before, <laughs> but I feel like we took it to some interesting places. But she's, yeah, I felt like she's really she's educated a good, she, on a lot of different topics. She's so a good podcast guest. Yeah. You know, it's like like a good bass player makes your job easier. Exactly. In the band. Jenny made our job really easy. If you have a podcast... You should have Jenny on as a guest. Yeah. Um, so just look her up online. Um, follow her. She I was always posting stuff on Twitter, Instagram. She's always on tour. So check out her tour dates. And um, yeah, it'll probably take you a while to book her because she'll probably be doing something <laughs> way cooler than your lame podcast. <laughs> but not in this case. So <laughs> let's listen to this um, episode with Jenny V. You good? I'm. How are, I'm fine. How are you? You good, Jenny? <laughs> yeah, I'm totally good. Okay. Uh, all right. Here we are with Jenny V. Hey, what's how's up? it going? Pretty I always good. feel like so awkward doing the opening. Yeah. Because I feel like we do an introduction before, and then I introduce you again, and then you have to start all over again and ask me how I am, and yeah. what if the answer is really bad, actually. Yeah. I don't feel good at all. Really? No, I'm okay. <laughs> A bit of both, actually. Yeah. Good and bad. Are you like constantly jet lagged? Or are you, I guess you fly a lot domestically too. I fly a lot domestically. I fly a lot internationally. No, I'm used to it. Yeah. I can sleep on planes. I can sleep in airports. We were talking about that earlier, getting to airports early. I like to yes. do that just so I can relax. Oh, yeah. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, who was telling us about that? Oh, Andrew WK. Oh, yeah. He's talking about how the one thing in his life that, the biggest thing that causes stress is being late. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And airports is a good one. It's yeah. somewhat in your control to not be late. 
some things can happen like accidents and traffic, but to plan ahead, it takes away a lot of that stress. Exactly. And then you can go to express spa at the airport and get a massage. <laughs> I've there never is, done that before. There are things I've to do. <laughs> I mean, I think what's at people that travel, you know, I think it's the layover thing that makes you afraid of airports, but do you live in New York? I do. Yeah. So like we don't have to do layovers, you know, cause we live in New York right? as much as other people. There's very few places you need to do that unless you're flying to like, Lexington, Kentucky or something right. like that. So like airports aren't something to fear the way that I think they are. A for, lot of people do. Yeah, I just don't like, like, I hate the TSA. I like, <laughs> yeah. I, this is like a whole nother, I've gone so many rants about it, but I don't, like, I don't <laughs> like the way that they like gouge you on everything. Yeah. Like, well, I just, I don't, I think it's depressing. I don't like it. Really? Yeah. Oh, it's super, as a musician, it's frustrating too, because there is a law that's been put into effect, I think, over the past year where you're allowed to gate check your guitar. So it doesn't have to right. go through you know, the beating that it might take with the regular luggage. And it basically just varies on the person you happen to get at the gate. Some of them scold you for bringing it. Some of them try to charge you an extra $150. And some people are happy to gate check it for you. But it's, I don't know, stressful. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, most of my traveling with guitars was done pre 9-11. But then you weren't really supposed to bring it. But I always did and just talk nice to You weren't supposed to bring a guitar at all? Oh, you mean to the gate? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I used to, and I, but I, I used a soft bag too. So, oh, so you brought it on board? So it was, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I feel like sometimes it fit it. Sometimes they, yeah, you're right. They totally don't care. Like I've been on flights where you just put in the overhead. I'm like, do I have to put in this closet? Right. Like, no, just put wherever. So yeah, what they are fit the actual overhead. rules yeah. here, people? Yeah, they're not really sticking to them. But I travel mostly with a base, so that doesn't fit yeah, in the cabin. It does have to go underneath. That's true. Base is a different. Yeah, a different animal. What's your go-to tour base? Um. Fender P bass. Yeah. 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 Souped up with some Seymour Duncan quarter pounder pickups. All right. Both of my P basses have been modded with those pickups and I love it. I have a bass that I've had for over 20 years and it's my favorite bass, but I am scared to travel with it. Yeah. Because you never know. Totally. Yeah. There's a cool P bass here. Yeah. We, we've got it. Yeah. That's the new one. I think it's a 70s P bass. Yeah. Oh, rad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we sort of met through Instagram or something. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I met some of my best friends yeah, through Instagram. It's so crazy because you don't really think of it as like a social... So- I mean, like, I feel like you sort of like use it usually to like keep up on people you know. Right. And then I feel like once in a while, like you keep seeing the same people pop up with your friends. Yeah. And you're like, I guess I should know this person. Yeah. Your circle expands. Yeah. I met some really solid people through Instagram. Yeah. yeah and that's, who I've ended up working with and stuff like that. That's awesome. Yeah. So did you grow up here or... Where did no, you grow? I'm from Sudbury, Ontario, Canada. Okay. Which is four hours north of Toronto. And for a long time, I used to just say I was from Toronto, but I've really embraced the fact that I'm not. I'm from a mining town. It's really blue collar, working class, really desolate. Um, 100,000 people. So it's not a small town, but it's a weird town. Was there like wow. a, a yeah. music scene there? Or what was it sort of like for you? If there was, I didn't know <laughs> about it. Um, I, I was kind of that stereotypical loner goth girl with no friends <laughs> in a mining town and it seems soon, like a good place to be a goth yeah well, and I, I had an affinity for for manchester because it seemed like yeah. a, a parallel universe exactly. so uh, growing up you know i was 12 13 and i was like oh joy division and new order and all the stuff that it's was kind coming. of a no-brainer yeah it just felt like it resonated <laughs> with me so in my last year of high school i quit and i moved to england Whoa. Okay. Yeah. What was that like? It was great. Yeah. Did you I was know like, people I don't want to go to college. 
I don't want to, you know, what do I want to do? I want to play music. And how am I going to do that? I had my bass, the one we were talking about. And I just took off. Yeah, I met some people um, through going to see The Cure. And they were English. And I just went over for a, a holiday, which lasted two years. Wow. Brilliant. Yeah. It Sounds was, like fun. It was great. And I got a lot accomplished. So when, do you, when did you sort of start playing bass? When I was 16. Okay. Yeah. So not super young, but um, I was a music fan from the time I can remember. I started going to concerts when I was eight. Okay. What were some of like your early shows? Michael Jackson. Whoa. U2, The Cure, Depeche Mode. Yeah. Okay. Those are pretty credible. Yeah. Mine was like Phil Collins. That's cool. But, yeah. Phil Collins is kind of cool. Yeah, Phil Collins has sort of become If it become comes cool. on, I don't turn it off. Yeah, that's true. I'm clicking. Use my clicker here. What about you, Brad? What were your, what were your <laughs> yeah, first Clicking shows? off the Phil Collins. <laughs> Take that out. <laughs> I think it was like, I went to a show with my friend's mom, and I think it was like Styx. I think it was Styx. Okay. Remember that band? Yeah. S-T-Y-X. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I must have been like 13 or something. I think that would qualify as my first show. Oh, I saw Crowded House when I was 11. It was amazing. That's and they took cool. me on stage to watch. I was already kind of in the front and just loving it. So they took me on the stage and I watched from the side Whoa. of the stage. When you're 11? Yeah. That's epic. Yeah. That is pretty cool. That would, that would be enough to launch you into the music business. That's what happened. Yeah. My mom yep. took me to see Guns N' Roses when I was 12. A lot of my friends' first <laughs> concerts were more like rock and roll, like metal concerts. Yeah. But mine was definitely pop, Michael Jackson, and then getting into U2, The Cure, Depeche Mode, Jesus and Mary Chain, Love and Rockets, The Pixies. I saw the first Lollapalooza. I was a kid going to these shows. So yeah, that was that was all I ever wanted to do. So how did you what did you sort of do after so you moved back here after you were in England? Yeah, I was in England for a couple of years. And I made a demo tape, cassette tape, that I started sending out to labels. And um, started getting a good response. But for me, it was really hard to put a band together there for some reason. I just couldn't find people to play with. And I had a friend, one of my only friends back from Sudbury, and he was an amazing drummer, a sick drummer into metal. And um, I called him and I was like, hey, if I come back, would you be interested in playing with me? And he said, yes. So I went, I did go back home and started my band back in Toronto. Okay. Yeah. I mean, did you, because it seems like now you're, like when you play, it's kind of not not like a solo thing, but it's kind of built around you a little bit. Yeah. I mean, has it always sort of been like that? Have you? In all of my projects, I've been the songwriter. Okay. Um. So my first band was called Thule and it was my project, my ideas. I had a few different players in that project. And then I had another band called The Vicious Guns. And again, it was my vision and my songs. Okay. So now in the past couple of years, when I got back to recording after a little bit of a break, I just decided to use my name. Yeah. Yeah. I think people can relate to it on a different level when it's a single entity or, or like a woman. Yeah. You know, there, I think it's more of a personal connection for some reason. Yeah. It's interesting. I feel like some people are really into doing that and some people don't like it. Like it really depends. Right. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's interesting... I feel like there aren't a lot of bands kind of built around bass, sort of. Like um The Police. The police, yes. Oh, um Concrete Blonde. Yes. John oh, played one. bass. Concrete yeah. Blonde. Yeah. Um who else? Yeah, but you're right, no, there's not a lot. Have you always Oh Till Tuesday, Amy Mann. Oh yeah. Have <laughs> you seen uh the video that they the remake 
um, how can I explain this? Till Tuesday? Do you know the video? What was Till Tuesday's big song? Um, Voices Carry. Voices Carry. <laughs> they did like, this guy Tom Sharpling did a remake of that video when really Amy Mann put out her last solo record. Audience. And she the remakes opera. it scene for scene. Amazing. Shot by shot with her now. And it's like kind of like a comedy. Like they kind of make, because it's like that video is so ridiculous. Like with the guys, like she's like, because she's like dating like a businessman sort of. Yeah, yeah. they're at the opera. And yeah. She's the audience. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you should, I'll send you a link to okay, it. Okay, cool. Something. Yeah, I haven't seen it's it. It's really, but I mean, have you always like melodically, like is it, is it harder to build a song around bass or not at all? Or I play guitar different? too. Okay. Um, I'm just more drawn to bass and I feel more grounded and powerful as a performer with the bass, with the guitar live for me. It's more of a hindrance. Um, I enjoy playing guitar, but I do write with both. Okay. Um, usually I'll write with guitar first, but then I painstakingly craft a bass line to go. That's awesome. In the song. Yeah. Really so, come up with like Peter Hook's one of my big influences, and he plays beautiful melodic bass lines. Yeah, and, definitely overlooked the bass. Yeah, you yeah. think in general? Yeah, I mean, like if you've ever played with a really good bass player who's not, you know, uh, overplaying. Exactly. Yeah. There's a fine line between doing something melodic and pretty, and that stands out, and oh, just overplaying and being flashy. Yeah. There's definitely that that just fine makes, line. Uh, makes such a difference. Totally agree. Underappreciated. Yeah, For real. It can yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. I've always played with really good bass players and drummers, yeah. and that's why I can just jack off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's times just to play the root notes, you know, and just kind of cruise on a couple notes, and then there's times to add a flourish or an accent. Yeah. See, let's let's start a band. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I'm in. When? So when did you move to New York? Four years ago. Four years ago. Okay. Yeah. So did you move here to play with Courtney Love or did that come up later? No, that came up about two years ago. Okay. So I'm glad I was here when that opportunity came up because otherwise it wouldn't have happened. And that's something that my whole life it's been about going places that would enable me to play music. Like, I don't know if I'm wording this right. Like living in Sudbury where I'm from, what were my opportunities as far as being a musician? There's some community theater and a few few small venues but i was like i'm going to england because that's where i need to be to to play music and then i did live in la and then i lived in nashville because as a songwriter i was like i'm going there because i'm a songwriter and there's a lot of opportunities there yeah so i came to new york for music gotcha for sure so how did that sort of come together were you playing with other people kind of no i was done with nashville and i I realized that the only inhabitable city for me was new york in america at that time i needed to cleanse my southern experience yeah the same way yeah, so that is why I came to New York. I was in Nashville and I was fed up, but I'm like, okay, it's time for new, a New York experience. Gotcha. So did you just sort of start just playing with people here? Or? No, funnily enough, I started out and I ended up working in the fashion industry and doing a lot of freelance work because I'm, I'm handy with the sewing machine. I know how to pattern draft. That's just something that's self-taught. My grandfather was a tailor. So it, it's something that I've always done and I'm good at it. It's not a passion. I like it. But I ended up doing a lot of um, commission work and stuff like that for other artists. And um, I did that for the first year or two that I was here. And I got really depressed. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was listening to music and I was slaving over my sewing machine for 16 hours a day. Oh, man. Doing all this work, thinking, here I am in New York. And what am I doing? Right. It sounds like, oh, Crimea River. How can I complain? It's (laughs) it's it's still creative, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. So I just cut off everything i didn't take any more work and started writing and recording and that became my ep die alone that i released a year and a half ago 
I wrote it in the winter, really depressed. And I also, I was going through a really rough time with relationships, friendships, romantic relationships, family, just everything felt like it was falling apart all at once. So I turned back to music. Yeah. And I think wrote and recorded some of my strongest material ever. Yeah. And And personal. Yeah. Where did you sort of record it? In my apartment. Really? Yeah. Nice. I record everything at home. Okay. You want to give us your gear list since I'm a geek? (laughs) I use Logic. I'm still on Logic 9. Um, What interface do you use? um, The uh, Apogee. Mm, Good. Mm -hmm. The Apogee Duet. And um, sometimes I record bass direct. Sometimes I mic it too. I use a little Mark bass combo. I have a, a collection of small amps. I have a Roland Cube amp. I have a little Fender practice amp that I even like to mic up. And just a bunch of pedals. Cool. Yeah. And that's it. And a blue mic. That's what I use. Oh, yeah? Which, do you know the which one it is? Bluebird? Uh-huh. Is that what it's called? Oh, that's a great mic. Yeah, it's good for acoustic guitar and female vocals. So they say. Cool. Yeah, it's really simple, my setup. Oh, that's a good setup. Yeah. The Apogee stuff is great. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. So You can do it, too, yeah. if anyone's listening. <laughs> <laughs> it's really empowering the- because... It is nice to go into a studio and have like a live room and all my drums are programmed. It's not like I'm making drums or anything. And like I said, I don't even, I just go direct a lot when I record bass and sometimes even guitar. But you can do a lot in a small space. I live in a 300 square foot studio apartment and it's basically a studio with a bed in it. Yeah. Yeah. You said one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So how did you sort of start playing with other people in New York? Do you sort of just started like passing the EP around or people started hearing it? Yeah, just meeting people through people. I don't go out a lot. I've never really been in a scene, you know, like again, growing up in that town where I was very much, um, I don't know if it was self-imposed isolation, but I didn't really relate to anybody and I formed my own world. Like my room was my world and I played bass and I listened to music and I've kind of been like that my whole life. So it is kind of hard for me to meet people, but um, just through friends or Instagram or Twitter, I've right. kind of um, gotten to know a lot of other really amazing musicians, female musicians I love. Um, there's a girl named Blaze Dahl. She's a multi-instrumentalist here. She's amazing. And I met her through friends and she played with me for a bit. And then another girl, Leanne Bose, she plays with Hunter Valentine. I don't know if you know them. No. I played with her. Yeah, it's been a blast. Just meeting people through people. Have you met the Avoir Simone and them at all? They're, friend, they're friends met. with Jen, too. They're really nice. Yeah. They came the, on the podcast wait, before. Is there a girl named Emily in that? Erica. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I met her. Yeah. yeah she, they came on here. Nice. They're really cool. Yeah. They're really nice. Yeah. I should get out more. <laughs> well, it's getting I'm cold sorry. now. You have a good excuse. So how did you sort of start playing with Courtney? Did you like audition? Did she get in touch with you? How does... It's so funny because she claims to not remember this, but I did audition for Hole in 2000. No when way. Melissa Oftimer left the band, they held auditions in LA and I auditioned and I got a call back and I guess I was top choice, but they never really went on to do anything after that whole kind of disbanded as whole. Courtney took a bit of break from music and then came back a few years later with, you know, a new lineup and using the name Courtney Love instead. So playing with her is something I've wanted to do since I was a kid. And how I ended up connecting with her was I was DJing at um, the McCarran Hotel in Williamsburg. And my boss there, Nur Khan, is a really good friend of Courtney's. And he knew I was a musician. And he's like, you should play with Courtney. And I was like, yeah, I know. I should. (laughs) (laughs) So we just started communicating over email. He kind of like match made us. 
And I was able to share with her my recent EP, the Die Alone one that we mentioned. She liked it. And she was coming to New York to do a play, Kansas City Choir Boy. And she coincidentally was staying on my street. So we became friends really quickly and hanging out almost every day. And when the Lana Del Rey tour came up, it was just like kind of natural. She asked me if I wanted to do it with her. Wow. What was that sort of like first tour like? I mean, I imagine those are pretty big venues. Yeah, big venues. Yeah. Yep. Um, was amazing. That, yeah. So cool. Yeah. Taking that bass <laughs> from Sudbury, souped it up and played in front of 23,000 people the first wow. night. Holy yeah. shit. Songs what, that I grew up, you know, that's how, learning to play. I listened to live yeah, through this. Right. So a lot when I, I had to learn the roster that we were going to play, I was like, okay, well, I know, I know those 10 songs, you know. <laughs> right. It came back real fast. It's a fucking great. It's, I, I still love that album. Yeah. <sighs> I love that so album. Good. So good. Yeah, that is so wild. And then I got to listen to some of her other material. Um, Nobody's Daughter was a really great record. And a, a lot of it I hadn't really delved into, the deeper cuts. And I was yeah. like, wow, this is all amazing. <clears throat> I saw her at Terminal 5 maybe like four or five years ago. Yeah. Maybe not that long ago. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, I think it was about four years ago. Yeah. 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 It's just awesome. Playing with her is so much fun. Yeah. Is she like a, do you like hanging out? Is she I like love a nice, because I think she's just such a kind of intimidating figure to so many people. That's just, well, they don't really know her. Right. You know? <laughs> totally. She's lovely. She's super sharp, outspoken. She's quick-witted. She's so intelligent. She has reference points that you wouldn't believe. Literature, film, art. And maybe that's why people are intimidated, but I yeah. find it so inspiring and she's so supportive. Yeah, I that's great. Her. Yeah. She's um, wonderful. So what kind of... So are you sort of concentrating more on kind of your solo stuff or do you like playing with her? Would you like to play with other stuff? Sort of. I what's... have time and room and space in my life for all of it. Okay. You know, focusing on my solo stuff doesn't really require that much because I'm in my studio constantly and I'm always creating. And then when I feel the need to share it via, via live performances, I do that. You know, I'll do a run of dates in the UK or we did a West Coast tour in December, but it's not this thing where I'm like, all right, I'm eight months on the road now promoting this you know, album. There's no rules. I just released an album in October and I've already got another EP. I'm probably just going to put out like whenever I feel like it. Yeah. That I just finished recording. So, I mean, I could do that in tandem with playing with other people. I'm to- if anyone's listening, I love playing with other people. <laughs> you know, you- I do love playing bass with other people takes the pressure off me because I'm kind of shy, as I mentioned. Um, so playing my own songs and singing them and sharing that is, is kind of um, painful for me. I don't get a lot of joy out of it. But it's fun to play. Yeah. Do you know <clears throat> what I mean? It's fun to play with other people. Yeah. Takes the pr- it's like playing with other people is like you're getting on a roller coaster and like, woo, and then playing your own show for me is like flying a plane that like lost a wing or something. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds intense, but... No, it's funny. It's there's true. like, it's, yeah, there's some bass players that I've known that I was always jealous of because it just seemed like that they could just do that. You could, <laughs> it was so much easier. I don't know. I feel like it's partly the instrument. It's a lot easier to just to cross genres you know it just seems like playing playing, bass yeah and also even though you know it's also like you don't have to worry about gear as much like (laughs) most places have like what do you mean 10 calves aren't that fun you gotta (laughs) worry about those (laughs) you can show up with a bass and there's usually a bass amp you know yeah it may not be your favorite it may not be great yeah yeah so, like, you're going to sound relatively good, you know? Right. Yeah, there's more variables like with, with guitar, the guitar. you always got to have a certain amp, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's a big pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah, you're right, actually. 
But um, yeah, I've known a few people like that. They can just plug in and with, to different people and enjoy uh, the ride. Been jealous man. of them <laughs> to be able to do that. I love it. I I, I love playing bass. Yeah. It seems like you tour so much um, just on your own. I mean, is that important to you to sort of like keep kind of hustling? Or I like, do and I don't. Yeah. I'm traveling a lot, you know. But uh, this past year, eighteen months, it has been with a few different people. I've played bass for a few different people and doing tours with them interjected with small runs i'm not gonna go out there for like two three four months straight and kill myself out there on the road you know that's just not my my vibe um i do small small runs so it's manageable for me yeah yeah i think that's that's sort of what what my band does too we used to do a lot and now it's like two weeks at the most yeah it's sort of like because everyone's like now everyone like married and like has kids and like no one wants to stay out for like two months <laughs> not me i will but yeah i mean i will in the right situation i right, will but right. i'm or yeah if i got a great support slot or something that warranted it but i'm not out there pounding the pavement like doing van tours and sleeping on floors um not because i'm a diva but just because i've done it right. and i get a lot more satisfaction <clears throat> i think out of the um creative process of like writing and recording and sharing that way yeah that makes yeah. sense yeah you'll get burnt out you know you can burn out on the road it's not the healthiest way to live even though i'm not i don't do drugs i have a glass of wine or two i work out a lot healthy lifestyle the road can still burn you out oh, yeah. because everything gets messed up like you were saying about jet lag and sitting in a van all day like just not being upright and walking you know yeah. that's super important you just feel i mean I remember I just always felt jet lagged. No matter what. You yeah, just even if I like wasn't crap. flying anywhere. Like that was yeah. the general state of like, you're just kind of like groggy all the you're time. You're just waiting. Wait, It's a waiting game. And then you play. Like my set's like 35, 40 minutes. You <clears> play. <throat> and the rest is waiting. Waiting and yeah. traveling and waiting and traveling. In some grim environments. So Also like eating is hard. Like I feel like last time we were out, it's like, Everyone's like wanting to go to Starbucks and you get like a breakfast sandwich at Starbucks. It's kind of gross like every day. <laughs> right. And it's like, you know, yeah. So yeah. I used to make this this comparison, which is not fair to uh, our veterans. But that like I, I, I remember reading a book once about war and it was this guy summed it up as like the life of a soldier was uh, was like was like endless hours of utter boredom and waiting and then you know, inter- interspersed with like, you know, like moments of pure adrenaline. Oh wow! And then like, and then there's the bad food. And I was like, oh, it's like being like <laughs> Yeah, wow. <laughs> it's exactly the same. Not quite as like you know. Stakes are a little The adrenaline lower. is yeah. for different reasons. Right. You know, it's an enjoyable ad- adrenaline as opposed to utter fear. But yeah, it's kind of the same like impact in a sense on your body. I guess. Yeah, and the same highs and lows. Yeah. Totally true. Adrenaline's adrenaline. So we're soldiers. We are. Soldiers <laughs> rock. You're a soldier. I'm a veteran. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the fence. Um, I'm, you know, I, so we follow each other on Instagram and I remember sort of recently you posted a photo and some guy was like, oh, you look better with a jazz bass oh, or something. God. Yeah. And, and he's a light offender as far as the comments Really? Do you get a lot of stuff? I was curious oh, about that. Every day. Really? So annoying. Yeah. Hashtag annoying. <laughs> I, post, yeah, I posted a screenshot from a video where I was playing my jazz bass. 
cool jazz bass. You look better, but you look better with the P bass. Thanks for the tip. Great. Thank you. And then it's kind of geeky. My girlfriends and I behind the scenes share those screenshots with each other and laugh at these people. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably a better edit. I feel like, because like as a guy, like you never really deal with that sort of stuff. Right. So it's like, it's it's such a weird, I feel like it's such like a... So do touchy. you have any tips for other men who want to start playing guitar? <laughs> totally. <laughs> do you have any tips for, any, for, for guys, males in yeah, the world for if they want to record? Like what the hell does the fact sad. that I have a vagina have to do with playing an instrument or recording a song? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's annoying. Really annoying. It gets pretty intense. I'm, I should just ignore it, but sometimes I address it. Yeah, I used to completely ignore it, but when it was Black Friday and all these like boutique pedal companies mostly, because you would think that the bigger companies wouldn't do it, and I didn't see it, but sexist memes running rampant to, to promote their ped- their pedals, you know, like a picture of a guy on a computer and a woman with her head in her hands. Oh no, he's buying guitar pedals again. <laughs> sexist memes. <laughs> Horrible. Yeah, it's, like a, it's completely isol- alienating an entire gender who might be interested yeah, no, it's, in that reverb pedal. Right. It's tacky. Yeah. No, I, it's counterproductive. It's time to get over it. You know, you can be a lady. You can be a beautiful lady. You can be a lady who wants to wear a bikini and have, you know, whatever and still be a good player. It's, it's irrelevant. Do you get a lot of, because I was in a band for like five years, um, with uh, this woman, Carla, she was an amazing bass player, but I felt like so many sound guys, she had this awesome Rickenbacker bass. Yeah. But so many sound guys would almost like quiz her on it. Like they'd be like, mm-hmm. is that like what? And it is almost like, not in like an inquisitive way, more like I'm testing you. Totally. Which I thought was so weird. Like it was so weird. Because yeah. they didn't want to have to deal with the Rick. It sounds like shit. <laughs> it sounded pretty good, actually. Really? Yeah. Was it the solid body or was it the Beatle bass? Uh, it was not the Beatle bass. It was a, it was like, Somebody with a big, like, yeah, away. yeah. Oh, those are, those are not as bad. <laughs> R- R- Ricky basses are weird. They're so top heavy. Every time I've tried yeah. to play them, I'm like, Brew. So yeah. people like them, but I, I just didn't like the way they, they, they feel. It would look great on you. I, would look, I know, but I, I should maybe consider it. You're right. It would look great. <laughs> look great with these boots I'm wearing. Yeah. They do look good, actually. No, they are cool looking. Oh, there's yeah. an aesthetic quality, don't get me wrong, to right. guitars. And some of us are drawn to certain guitars because, you know, you get to pick a color and what color do you like. So I'm not going to negate the fact that we don't, we aren't drawn to things because of the aesthetic value. But please, you know, to just completely invalidate me as a player because I'm a woman and say things like that. It's so annoying. Yeah, yeah That's the would... word I keep using. It's annoying. It's annoying. Yeah, I would imagine. I mean... There's enough things in the business to, to be for for all musicians to be annoyed yeah. by. You know, you just yeah. another question that I get asked a lot is, are there any obstacles because you're a woman? And right. I'm like, how the hell would I know any different? Because I've traveled this path as me. It's like maybe the question is like as myself with this history of you know whatever kind of like situations I've been through. Have those been any obstacles? Like things that I've overcome. But I'm not trying to overcome being a woman. You right. Know? Right. And when I first started, it wasn't that I was ever trying to, like, set an example for other women. But now in my mind, I'm like, if that's what it takes to have more people step up. Set a fucking example, man. May as well. Yeah. Yeah. If that's what some ladies need to see another woman playing, where it makes them think I can do that. Cool. I didn't need that. Like, my heroes were Peter Hook and Simon Gallup and Steve Severin and men. I didn't differentiate, but 
I think, you know, it, it, I, so I was in a band with a, uh, a female singer. Yeah. And I remember that, and we used to play a lot of shit, all ages shows. And I definitely, there were definitely some like moments where these kids were, got, were, got the idea that they could be empowered to do it. I definitely saw it in their faces, you know, like afterwards backstage at the merch booth, like these little girls, you know, like 14 year olds who were just like, like, oh, I can, and I'm talking about like, I'm not talking about in New York or I'm talking about like out in fucking Green Bay or somewhere, you know, like in the sticks and like, and I was like. Yeah, it, it, they do need firsthand. You do need to have your eyes opened, kind of. Yeah, you know, like exactly. I think, like, um, and especially when, you, especially when you can play. I mean, that's the thing, you know, like play your ass off. That says everything because you're going to get hired because of that. Exactly. And yeah, yeah, I think it's good. Send it, it's for the kids, man. <laughs> it's all for the kids. Well, no, the we're kids ba- are naive. They don't know. We're bombarded with imagery from the time we're young. You know, gender specific things, colors, and toys, and all that stuff. So you're right. There are girls who need to see another girl doing it, yeah. or maybe didn't consider that. Hey, this is something I can do until they saw that. Um, like I said, I didn't, but. Funnily enough, Courtney was one of my first female like role models or inspirations. And that was a little bit later in my teens when I was like, oh my God, this chick rocks. You know, up until that point, I was really just into into dudes playing rock. <laughs> um, and I was like, I like this girl. That She's must be cool. so surreal to sort of play with someone like that so much later in your life. Yeah. Like that must be such a... The timing was right. Yeah. You know, and I have um, a younger sister and she's 23. And it's funny because I'm older than her and I, I use it as an example. I'm like, see, and she's, she's acting and she's in LA and she's super talented and she's doing well. But I was like, don't even think of your age as a deterrent. You know what I mean? We've been talking about gender, but even getting older and having been in the music industry for 20 years now, just things come up when they come up, you know, yeah. when the timing is right. And when you, you stay on your path and don't falter. Well, you need to do something because you love it. Yeah. You know, like, and that has to, there has to be a reward other than being a, a rock star or making money from it, you know? And exactly. I mean, that's what I fucking always, that's what I always tell young bands. Like, if you're in it, if you're in this to, for any other reasons other than you fucking love, love to make music, yeah. then like the innate need to do it. That's just what I have. And with the writing, especially as a songwriter, it's like, I have to do it. It's so therapeutic. It's like how I learn about myself. It's how I deal with everything. Things from the past, things in the present. It's how I'm so grateful for it. I mean, do you feel like, um, you know, obviously like you're interested in fashion and that kind of stuff and sort of, I mean, do you sort of bring that into like what you wear on stage? Like your aesthetic, is that kind of like, not like a big part of your personality, but is that kind of, you know, some people don't care that it's like jeans and t-shirts. Some right. people put more thought into it. I mean, how do you like sort of present yourself? Is that a big... What I wear on stage is what I would wear, you know, anywhere really. Um, let's see, these boots are like five inch heels. I play in these. I, yeah, I think about it. I mean, going back to my you know, childhood and getting into my teens with the whole goth thing and the creative expression that comes with choosing what you wear, how you present yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's still, that's still stuck with me. It's fun. Yeah. You know? And, um, yeah, I do think about it, but not too much. You know, I know what I like. Yeah. And then it's, I I travel with a backpack actually a few 
looks for each tour and and that's it. Do you still feel sort of like connected to the kind of goth scene? Not so much to the scene because like I was saying, I was never really in a, involved okay. in the scene. When I was a kid, I actually had gothic pen pals. Okay. There was a Cure fan club called Other Voices and they put out a quarterly little fanzine and you could add your name and a little blurb about yourself um, to get pen pals. So we traded tapes and that was like my scene. My scene was gothic pen pals. That's how I first heard My Bloody Valentine and a lot of 4AD bands was from some friends who are still friends of mine from 20 years ago. Um, that was really my only scene. And then I snuck into some goth clubs in Toronto when I was like 15, 16 and observed other people. But I was really shy and I'm still pretty shy. Yeah. So I don't identify with today's current goth scene, um, but I identify to like the goth girl that I was, you know. <clears throat> I want to know more about the London thing. When I lived in England? Yeah, So because I just realized you must have been like 17. Right, something. I was 12. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you left, you said you left your senior year of high school, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. I did. So you were, no way. <laughs> you look good. Thanks. <laughs> yes, it was, I was 12 years old. I moved to England. Um, it was awesome. Yeah. But like, you just up and went, you had friends there that you went to hang out You know, with. in my last year of high school, my father passed away. And it's something I never really spoke about but obviously it had a big impact on my life and my decisions because if he was still around and I didn't go to college that would have been a massive disappointment to him right and I'm not saying that I wouldn't have chosen to not go had he still been alive but I, I was just kind of like you know what I'm gonna do what I want to do it's a little freeing it's it yeah in a way just to, to make those decisions and my mom was going through losing her husband and she said i give you my blessing just do whatever makes you happy so yeah i i did the i did do it i went to england and it was the best thing i could have done and did you did you play bass there or was that yeah i brought my bass um i met a man when i was 16 and i went to see the cure and he was in a band called Cranes, and they opened for The Cure. Cranes, yeah. I yeah. knew that band. Amazing. I loved them. Yeah. And um, we kept in touch, and so he became my very first boyfriend. I didn't have a boyfriend until I was in my late teens, and so I lived with him over there. And he was my musical mentor, and it was awesome. And he had a studio, and I learned to record. We used, oh, like, dat tapes and weird stuff like that. And you were just a kid, man. You were a teenager. Yep. That sounds like a blast. Yeah, it was a blast. <laughs> yeah, he was, he's, he's a great man. We're still friends. And you so said you lived in Nashville too? Mm-hmm. That was terrible. Really? Yeah, not my vibe. I have so many friends that I feel like so many, so much of the music industry has kind of moved down there, like a lot of friends at labels and stuff. Do they like it? Yeah, they like it, but it's like, you know, like my friend moved down there like from here and like bought a house with his girlfriend and he's like, we have a house now instead of right. an apartment. I think they like it. What did you not like about it? Because I would think as like a a musician, it seems like there's so many. Did you feel like it was like clicky or like? Yeah, I felt that. But I feel that about everywhere. And I'm never, like, I've never been a part of a scene and I don't really fit in no matter where I go. But there it was really hard for me to relate to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Was it like more of a country kind of vibe or? Obviously, Nashville and country go hand in right. hand. But there is rock and roll going on there and as a songwriter you can write for anybody in all styles and good song is a good song like a lot of my songs if i play them with an acoustic guitar they could be a country song right you know catchy and melodic um so i went there with that in mind that i was gonna 
kind of infiltrate the the songwriting club there. And it just didn't happen for me, which is fine. Um, I did a lot of other things. I did a lot of animal rescue work. I was a full-time volunteer for six months. I like threw myself into other experiences when I was there. It didn't work for me. I couldn't relate to people. Yeah. A lot of people coming to Nashville are also from surrounding states. And I don't want to sound like intolerant or ignorant myself, but it was just not, you know, I couldn't relate to people. What about LA? I like LA. Really? Yeah. Because like what you're talking about Nashville, I feel like LA can be that way. Yeah. LA, like, you know, New York pulls, attracts a certain <clears throat> of these people from across the country and across the world. Right. And then LA also pulls in like what I feel is kind of a little more shallow, like, you know, people go there because of the the movie business, you know, whereas people come here for a lot more reasons. Music true. And- I know it's, we're making these sweeping generalizations. No, but they're true. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, people are coming from like <laughs> Because Alabama. basically New York rules and LA does suck. Yeah. Well, and a lot of people are coming, you know, they're going Just there kidding. with like the, these big ideas and absolutely those opportunities, opportunities exist. But it's like, I'm at the point in my life and I have been for a, quite some time where I know who I am. I've, always accomplished things. You know, I had a major label record deal by the time I was 23. I wrote for TV. I did all this stuff. So I go to these cities and places with, it's not the same attitude that I'm coming with. I go more for the experience and to see um, how it shapes me and what I get out of it as um, like an observer and somebody just existing. So I can relate to the people in Nashville who are coming there with from a different place and also even different backgrounds like the college experience and sorority and right cheerleader yeah, and stuff like that like i can't relate to that and yeah, maybe yeah. they couldn't relate to me being like i was this goth kid i had no friends my dad died from a drug overdose i fucked off to england <laughs> there's not a lot of common ground so it's admirable that you did i mean i like that you, you've been around and checked out these different places and- yes and i'm going to continue to do so i was saying to jonah that i think i'm probably going to end my new york experience soon really yeah time to move on you know it's the best place you've ever lived (laughs) i love new york it really has like this is the longest i've stayed anywhere and in my adult life is in new york yeah i lived i did live in la i lived in nashville i lived outside of dc i lived in toronto i lived in england toronto's great toronto's wonderful i love toronto yeah i love toronto too are you good at dealing with like because what i really struggle with with my job is like I'm good at writing, but I'm, like, really bad at, like, the business aspect. Like, people are like, do you want to do this thing? And I'm like, yeah, like, how much money do you want? I'm like, uh. <laughs> like, it's, did you feel like you've gotten, like, a footing for that aspect of it? I got a footing for that really early on. Really? I read a lot of rock bios growing up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like I said, I, it's like something I, I haven't really talked about a lot in my opportunities to share was my first boyfriend. He was such a big mentor to me and had a ton of experience with that stuff. So I learned so much from him about it. And I've always had like an entrepreneurial spirit. I've dipped into like the corporate world and had some random jobs here and there, like social experiments on myself. Um, But always coming back to working for myself. For me, it works. Some people could only wear the creative hat and that will only take you so far. But if you can do both for yourself, you can, I don't know make things happen. The thing I'm the worst at is this, interviews. Really? You're doing great. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm freaking. <laughs> no, no, you're totally you're fine. This is, a good, this is a good podcast. It is. So what, what, what were you writing for TV? What was... I wrote um, 
a theme song for a show on Comedy Central. Oh, cool. Yeah, and also little segments to play comedians on and off the stage for stand-up shows and stuff like that. Nice. And I did a Wall Street Journal commercial. And then there's a Canadian show called Degrassi. Do you guys know that show? That was a show Drake was on or something? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, I had a bunch of songs in that. But the, with the Comedy Central, I was like writing specifically for them. It was nice. awesome. Are you a big comedy fan or is that just sort of come by? Um, I, you know... I, I do enjoy comedy. I, I like Louis C.K. I love Woody Allen. I love Seinfeld. And I'll go to the Comedy Cellar here in New York from time to time. And I really respect comedians. Like, that is so vulnerable. They're up there yeah. with nothing. There's no reverb on their mic. You know, yeah, there's yeah, nothing yeah. to hide behind. Yeah, um, no, it's definitely the hardest wow. gig. It's harder it than... It seems super I've hard. I've done it twice. Yeah? I did it at St. Vitus. And I had, like, played, like, probably, like, three sold-out shows there. And Whoa. then I did a comedy show to, like... 30 people and I was like freaking yeah. out like I was never nervous playing guitar oh. there but it and it was like half of the people were like my friends like it wasn't like a tough crowd yeah but it's really like it's one of those things too like I was so nervous and then once you get up there it goes by so fast really yeah like it was way less because it was sheer terror I'm like getting nervous <laughs> just thinking about and it people <laughs> laughed away I also did a thing at the knitting factory this band beach slang played and they asked me to roast them before the show because uh-huh. my sister usually roasts us when we play um and I made these jokes about them and people were like so into it it's on YouTube but yeah like everything I said like it was like super loud laughs it was great I'm gonna watch it yeah check it out but Amazing. um yeah but it is so scary because yeah you have so nothing scary. to like you can't just like put your head down you can't like have you ever I, done a like just a solo guitar like thing or not solo? Like acoustic. I or? did do acoustic shows about a year and a half ago in the UK. Um, my friend Alan McGee, he is the founder of Creation Records. He invited me to play at his chapel in Wales called the Tabernacle. He started to have live shows there, and I played the first night, and it was intimidating. But I had my sister came with me, and she sang backups, and my friend played guitar. So you had a little bit of like I had a little, little bit posse. of a. But the fact that it was acoustic <laughs> yeah, and it was, yeah. you know, it's, it's, that yeah. was different for me. It's vulnerable. However, the sound in there was magical. It was beautiful. Really? I couldn't say no. How do you say no? You can't say no to Alan. When he asks you to come and play, you go play. Oh, man. So do you like, uh, excuse me, do you like writing songs for other people as well? Or do you sort of prefer to kind of do your own stuff? Um... I like I like both. I think that the song's going to come out how it's going to come out no matter what because I'm just a vessel. You know right. what I mean? Like the channel opens up and something is written. I'm kind of just open to it happening. So it's not a matter of do I like it or not. The process I think for me is the same. So it would accomplish that innate need that I have to write. Yeah. I mean, do you ever write something and you're like, this would be great. Better but it, for someone else. Yeah, like this yeah. doesn't maybe fit with yeah. what... My um, last project before I kind of christened myself Jenny V was called The Vicious Guns and it was very um, synth-based, dancey, kind of like organic meets electronic. And that whole project, like I, th- I love the songs and I, I just always think that those songs would be better suited to somebody somebody else or a different band. Mm-hmm. And I'm, so from that project, I have got like what I call the song graveyard. All my files I go back through and listen to like almost fully formed songs or really good ideas that are you there. Know, you know what time it is, don't you? It's time for you to enter phase two of your producing career yes yes <laughs> you got the catalog you find some young talent i'm open bass. to that yeah i'm definitely open to that working with artists mm-hmm. yeah who might be you know like stellar performers and just have that energy and i am a good performer don't get me wrong and i have a quality but it's not that natural born like 
theater background, really, you know, outlandish kind of personality. That's not really me, but I respect that in others. And, you know, if they have that, but maybe they don't have the songs or that need to team up, I think would be, I could do something really cool with other artists for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's the way. All right. Phase two. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting some life coaching right now. I like it. Do you ever get like, what kind of keeps you going? Like, do you ever get like sort of cynical about the music industry or like, I mean, or just like, I'm, th- I'm projecting a little bit. No worries. <laughs> That's okay. This is, but like, just so you know, this is, this whole podcast is, this is Jared This happens like every episode. And every like, question he's asking you is, is mainly because he's, he's interested in for his own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, I mean, do, do, like, like, do, like what kind of keeps you, I guess, inspired to keep doing it? Like, do you ever just feel like, ugh, I don't know why I'm doing this. What's the point? No, because it's something I examine a lot in my songs, actually, is that um, external sources of happiness versus internal sources of happiness. So if I was doing it for any external reason, I wouldn't, I would get very cynical. I get, like I said, annoyed by some commentary I receive and some like abuse that I take just for being me. That bothers me. That hurts. You know, I'm human or certain interactions with people or things, relationships that fall apart, maybe in any area of my life, but in musical terms things like that have happened and that hurts and it's not pleasant but I don't get cynical about like the state of the industry or why don't I have that or I want to be this I don't really care about that stuff yeah does that make sense yeah no that totally makes sense I think that's a good attitude yeah just do it and it's I I kind of almost said like if I can connect to one person or one person enjoys what I do that keeps me going but that doesn't keep me going yeah it's just the need to do it you know, that's what I do. That's the only thing I was put on this planet for in this lifetime, this journey was to play music, write music, create music, love music. And yeah, it's, a, I do it for me. That sounds so selfish, but it's like, I've learned so much about myself and gotten myself through so many situations because of songwriting and playing music. Self-medicating songwriting. Yeah, exactly. With songs. Self-medicating <laughs> songwriting. Yeah, there you go. that's it. That's that it. can be an album. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want to you take it? You want to have it? You can, you okay. can take that one. <laughs> so what's, what kind of stuff do you have sort of like coming up that you're sort of working on? I'm working on a new, what is probably going to become a new record. Okay. Um, this month has been really productive. January's a tough month for me. Um, it's my birthday. And then my dad passed away a, f- a few days after my birthday. So it's oh. always just something that, I know we've all lost someone and there's certain reminders and there's triggers and there's anniversaries and times that come up or holidays that really get to you. And January is so depressing as it is. So it's usually my most productive month as a songwriter. <laughs> <laughs> so I've basically completed what might be an EP or I might continue and make it into a full length. And that's definitely on the horizon. I'm going to the UK at the end of this month for some dates. Um I'm DJing. When is this? When is this going? Up? I don't know. And oh. you, we can put it whenever. Up, sort of whenever you okay. want. I'm doing or... some DJ spots here and there in New York. Night of Joy. Night of Joy. Everyone March, check out Night of Joy in March. I forget what the day. The March 10th. Night March of Joy. 10th. Yep. DJing. I'm playing at Berlin February 19th here in New York, which is cool because I haven't played a Jenny V show in New York for over a year. Oh wow. Yeah. I just went there. That it sounds really good. That it does. Room. Okay, yeah. Cool. Never yeah. Been there. And then new music, more music. Do you have any stuff with Courtney coming up, or is potentially? She, yeah, yeah. She out. just did a collaboration with um, Nasty Gal, which is a fashion brand. Okay. And I did um, some photos for that for her. 
she's just a renaissance woman. You know, she's always working on something and she's working on acting right now. And um, she did the fashion collaboration, but there could be some stuff coming up in the summer. Nice. Yeah. Um, Festivus, Festivus tour with Courtney. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, when you did the, um, do you, so do you still do writing for like TV for comedy? I haven't like recently, no, but some companies have used my songs for campaigns and things like that. When you did the, uh, the, com- the comedy channel, that must be Comedy Central, right? That must be a good gig because... A lot Residuals. of that stuff is good. <laughs> is what? Residuals. Yeah. 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 But also because it seems like as far as clients go, they probably are not too difficult to deal with. I've done a little bit of that kind of work. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. I mean, and this was years ago. And, and my, what I was writing was a lot more pop punky. And it was just like high energy. And it was just suited to you. Were you recording it too? Or I mean, were you, mm-hmm. you, weren't, yep. were you home recording yep. a lot of it? Yep. Oh, that's cool. Yep. I've recorded mostly at home. I did one album on a major and we went into a studio in Toronto. I forget what it was even called. My memory is really bad. Um, but yeah, I've, I've done a lot, most of my recording at home. That's cool. If you keep it self-contained, is you don't it, have to pay studio time. Is it, do you have to get like a visa or something? Like, is it hard to go back and forth between here and Canada? I have a permanent resident card. Okay, cool. Yeah the u.s gotcha do you have a lot of issues like we always have problems driving into canada like they always want to like search the van like they don't want you selling merch like all that stuff oh yeah i've had lots of problems (laughs) (laughs) lots of problems (laughs) uh yeah but it's fine now you know i've got my green card as they call it and it goes both ways. A lot of people say that. They're like, oh, Canada's so tough. And I'm like, dude, I had my retinas scanned at the border coming into the United States no in way. 2006. What? Yeah. It was scary. I was like, what? They're like, we're just going to scan your retinas. Retina scan? For f- our files. I'm like, is that going to do something to my eyes? <laughs> like, I don't, what is that? Is this the window to my soul? What are you that? doing? Oh, I didn't yeah. they do that. They did it to me in 2006. No. We're just going to do a quick retina scan. And I'm like, can I say no? Nope, you can't say no. You cannot say so no. They have this full was, dominion this over was your flesh and blood. coming into the States, yeah. going through U.S. customs. Yeah, in 2006. They scanned your retinas. Yes, they did. That's just fucking weird when because what the fuck think were they about looking it, for? What a violation totally. of my flesh and blood human form. I, yeah. Who has dominion over me like that? I couldn't. You can't say no. You're at their mercy when you're there. When you decide to no, cross I, the border. I know. I get it. It's going to open up a whole other conversation yeah. have they, here. They, you're going to get me ever, back on the TSA. But, but have they ever <laughs> fingerprinted anybody? Oh, I got fingerprinted too. That's so they do fingerprint Because I can just see people like up in arms over fingerprinting, like let alone the retinal. I mean, the thing is retinal scanning is such a jump above that. that I, I don't know if it's even, something like, that they were testing out or I don't know if they do it anymore, but they did it to me. Because it's not like they have fucking retinal scans of terrorists. Like, who are they looking for? A little old me. Maybe they just want to <laughs> unfile. Because, supposedly, they said, because I'd had so many performer visas in the past and I was going back to L.A. and I didn't have it, but I wasn't performing. I was kind of going through a breakup and I had spent a few months there, like, literally flaking out and doing yoga and going to the beach. Right. And they were like, well, you were already here for two months. You don't have a performer visa. I'm like, I'm not performing. I wasn't performing. Right. They're like, well, we're not going to let you back into the States until you can prove that you have an established life back in Canada and that you're not performing here. And so they scanned my retinas. Okay. And that was <laughs> To add insult so to injury. Insane. We're going to give you a... Uh, and we're going to scan your retinas. <laughs> we're going to give you a lie detector test. So stupid. They're um, <laughs> speaking the TSA. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> here favorite. we go. Uh, no, I, if you guys keep up on it, they're... 
talking about making it um, so you can't opt out of the machines anymore. The X-ray oh, at the airport thing. when yeah. you have to put your hands up. Yeah, because now you can opt out, and they like will give you this like crazy pat down. Right. I know. Oh my god, I'm flying later today. I'm, I'm sorry. About this, this is probably the worst thing to talk about. But yeah, they. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're talking about like not do not letting you do that anymore. Again, no choice. No choice. Yeah, and it's like who knows what those machines do to your body. We got freedom in this country. Yeah, too, based on freedom. Um, one of my favorite things to do is. <laughs> This is maybe why I'm single, but uh, one of my favorite things to do is watch videos people take of going through TSA and, Uh like, just, like, opting out and, like, asking those questions. It's because, like, they don't, no one knows what's going on. I went through that big phase. Really? Oh, yeah. That makes me actually feel. A couple years. Yeah. Defiance. Is that what the phase you went through? Um, That was a long, I think I'm still in that phase. (laughs) No, more the investigation of, like, I was talking about, like, the sovereignty movement and things like that. And you as a flesh and blood um, entity rather than the name on your birth certificate and the fact that they're held in the treasury department and the whole straw man theory and those things. Wait, what's the straw man theory? Um, that the straw man is the name on your birth certificate. So basically it's your corporation and that's why it's held in the treasury department. And that enables the corporation of the United States to do business with you. You're worth at least I think a million dollars because in your lifetime, you're going to pay taxes. You're going to pay fines. You're going to pay parking <laughs> tickets. Maybe you'll even go to jail. That's a good one. Prison bonds and it's a privatized system. It's really messed up. So you could like, renounce the birth certificate basically right. and have them buy it back from you. Does that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> For a million dollars? And there's like remedies to all sorts of things and ways to get out. It doesn't always work and I've never actually tried but I was just like watching videos of people <laughs> doing these things. Straw man theory. Yeah. yeah, straw man, straw man. There's some stuff too to where right people now. will go through like border crossings they'll be like, where are you from? And they'll be like, no. I don't have to tell yeah, you. Yeah, I don't have to. Or the, yeah, they'll be like, are you detaining me? Oh, that's internal border, border checkpoints, yeah. which are unconstitutional. Right. Yeah, they're and, completely And these people will be like, pull over there and they'll be like, I'm good. <laughs> and they'll just go back and forth and then like after like 10 minutes they'll be like, can I leave? And they'll be like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it can go either way. That's the thing. So I don't mess with it. I've never actually done those things myself, but I was reading a lot about it. There's a really good book called How I Clobbered Every Bureaucratic Agency Known to Man by Mary Elizabeth Croft. And she's a Canadian and it was written about 20 years ago. And she offered a lot of remedies in that that no longer work because the powers that be got hip to it. And it's kind of not relevant anymore, but it's right. a really good read. Mary Elizabeth. Okay. Croft. I'll definitely check that out. Yeah. It's PDF. It's free online. I mean, okay. it's a little wacky. I don't, you, there's obviously a society that we live in and we have to operate it and we need to pick our battles, you know? So do I do those stunts going through internal border, border checkpoints? No, but it's good to be aware that you, oh, you absolutely. can if you want you have to. to yeah. Because, yeah. you know, you have to keep, you have to keep those people in check a little bit. So I we know. need the crazies to keep them in check. I love it. And we theory. just have to keep the crazies fed. I'm so, yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. I'm so bad at like confrontation. So it's that it, it makes me so like Nervous. anxious. Me too. <laughs> but I like but to I, read about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I love watching the videos though. It's like, <laughs> again, this, this is something I, I think it was about t- a good 10 years ago that I was really fascinated by that whole concept of taking back your straw man. That's interesting. I'm going to look into that. Yeah, you should. Do you get into the conspiracy stuff at all? I just look at it as the flip side of what we're spoon fed. Yeah. So I, you know, I don't like to call it conspiracy. It's just the, you know, the the other option, right? If we see this on mass media, it's like, well, what's the complete polar opposite? That's just as plausible as what we're being told for sure. Yeah. 
But I'm not so arrogant to say that I know either way what the hell's going on in this weird world. Yeah, I have a friend who's like really into it and he was telling me about, you guys know about cri- crisis actors? Yeah, oh yeah, I know all about I that. I had no idea about any of this what? stuff. We're going deep. We're going to get in trouble with this podcast. <laughs> Wait, what's a crisis it's actor? It's like these, Oh, these, shoot. Do you know have you seen the movie Wag the Dog? Yes. Do you remember what the whole kind of concept of that was, that things were green screen and that yeah. certain situations were being portrayed as such and people bought it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crisis actors, kind of, it's kind of involving that, that a lot of things that we're seeing might not actually be real. And then in the aftermath, certain interviews with certain people who may have been affected by certain things are actors. Oh, like really? These people like the extreme. I, 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 you're getting what I'm saying because I don't want to really say it. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's really, it could be very offensive to some people. Totally. Like they'll think this stuff didn't happen or they'll be like, there'll be a picture of tragedy and they'll be like, this person was at this and then someone else with long hair and they're like, they were at all three of these things. Like they're an actor. This didn't happen. Oh, this per- and the sometimes heart. they use the same actors in different situations. Right. <laughs> Which is like also <laughs> Do you know like, that? Yes. Okay. Yes, because they'll be like, this person was at all th- the same person. In these yeah, three. Yeah, in all of these three things. And you're like, do you really think the government would be like, eh, use this person again? Like, well, <laughs> they don't give the sheeple credit because we're fed a diet of well, really crappy have too food. Many. Right. We're on a lot of prescription drugs. Not we, I'm using the, you know, the grand term of we. So people are malleable. Yeah. There's fluoride in the water. What does that do? It messes right. up your mind. Totally. It's a neurotoxin. All right. It's not good for your teeth. You- Fluoride? We are going deep. <laughs> this is scaring me. <laughs> Erase all of this. This is, this is getting very Alex Jonesy. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Oh it's my good, god. Um, good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Just, we just woke Let's talk up. about sexism again. We just oh, yeah. woke up a few people. <laughs> What's it like being a woman in a band? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I get my period yeah. and I got to stop for tampons on the road. <laughs> You've never probably been wanting to get that asset more than after. Exactly. Oh my god. After I brought up the fluoride. (laughs) Crisis actors, fluoride, and sexism and rock. (laughs) So it's all about. I guess those are the keywords for this podcast. Yeah. (sighs) All right. That was That was what was going on there at the end. I love it. That's like my favorite stuff. <laughs> I know you do love it. And I that. love meeting someone that knows so much more about it than me. And like, check this out. Check this out. <laughs> yeah, you, I, I got to say, I've seen you try to goad a few people in that direction before, but you got fucking lassoed. No, or lassoed, or whatever the word is. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was. You dropped a little hint and. She barreled right over you. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I got a lot of stuff to research. Um, yeah, probably on so many watch lists now. It was probably already. I probably hope so. Especially after the song we recorded with Jamie Kilstein today. Mm, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so that was Jenny V. Um, you can check her out on the road with Courtney Love at some point in the future, probably. And in the meantime, check out her solo stuff. Her newest album is called Spying. And get it from her website. Um, it's really cool. It's ten songs, and uh, yeah, it's great. She gave us a copy, so thanks, Jenny, for the CD. And uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you want to support us, you can go to goingofftrack.com, donate a dollar, or you can just leave us a nice comment on iTunes or tweet at us or give us money when you see us. Give us anything, really, <laughs> unless it's like except for shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, in case you were considering giving us 
actual shit. Well, that's not what I meant, but oh, you gotcha. took it. You wanted to take it there. That's yeah, okay. that's where my mind. You're went. the one. You're the single guy in in Brooklyn. Uh, <laughs> Hooking up with those crazy ladies. I don't know what you're talking about, Brad. <laughs> Brad living vicariously through me. If he only knew what my actual life was like. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, thanks for supporting the podcast. Thanks to Jenny for coming by. Definitely support her. And yeah, we'll be back next week. Uh, okay, bye. Bye.